Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Good to hear from you, Chris. Uh, so we missed you last week. A couple things to catch up on. Uh, first thing, want to take a look at this week's initial unemployment claims. We, we actually saw them fall about 50,000. Um, they're now below 800 uh, to 787,000. Um, continuing claims, they fell a million uh, to about 8.4 million. Uh, but unfortunately, offsetting this improvement, we saw about a 500,000 uh, rise in pandemic unemployment assistance that brought the PUA claims uh, to approximately 3.3 million. So, um, you know, we've been discussing that, you know, we might be reaching a point where the state's benefits will begin to expire. And while on the surface, you know, you'd say that this data, uh, things appear to continue to improve. And just wondering, you know, your thoughts, any additional insights uh, within the details of the data that you're finding? Yeah, you know, we, we've talked about the fact that we would start to see some improvement in the continuing claims because a lot of states have kind of a 26-week limit on their benefits. And, you know, we're reaching, you know, depending on when you want to start the count, week 29 to week 30 in this. And so those state claims are starting to fall off. And just the nature of the way the weekly data is released, while the initial claims reflect the prior week, the continuing claims actually are on a lag a couple of more weeks, but we're far enough past that 26-week mark now that if you kind of sort through the details, you can see that, yes, things are definitely improving. There's no question about that um, as far as the data goes. Certainly, it could be as much as half of the improvement we're seeing is, in fact, just people leaving the state benefits and moving to the extended 13-week benefit that came up, came through the initial CARES Act. So, yeah, things appear to be getting better. Uh, we also need to recognize that this data is just subject to significant estimates and revisions and, and dual applications. So there's a lot of noise here. But just with the consistency of the process, I think it's safe to say about half of the improvement we're seeing really is just people losing benefits. Half is then people either, A, finding a job or, quite frankly, just kind of, you know, maybe leaving the workforce in general. Um, so, yep, it's improving, not near to the extent the data says. As we continue to move through October and November, if the improvement isn't, in fact, uh, people getting jobs, then I would expect to see under CARES Act 2.0 a further extension of those 13-week benefits. That's a good pro pro point to bring up here, and it seems like that would have to be a, a logical uh, next move. Looking at October, um, you know, the market's been you know really interesting so far this quarter. Uh, we've seen areas like regional banks, um, you know, they've been the the at the top of the pack here. They're rallying um, nearly 20%. We've seen Russell 2000 value that's up nearly 10%. Um, we've seen the the Nasdaq only appreciate you know about half of that. Uh, you know, we're looking at a couple other markers, the 10-year Treasury. Those yields seem to be breaking out higher. Um, and, you know, and, and I guess uh, unusual, we've seen utilities and REITs um, as some of the best sectors of the month of October. And all this has taken place while we've seen you know, COVID-19 um, continues to spike. We've seen further lockdowns. Again, we've seen lockdowns in Europe and the U.K. Um, we're seeing start, cases start to rise uh, in certain pockets of the United States here. And uh, I would say, you know, the question for you is, you know, this seems – you know, confusing. Is there any way to you know, tighten this up? Is there any rational explanation for these moves? Um, or do you think this is more of a repositioning in a liquid market? Yeah, I think there's several things going on here. 
And, you know, all through the pandemic and the recovery, we've been used to uh, strong correlations across kind of key le- leading indicators. So, you know, dollar down, equities up, but equities really being led by tech and large cap growth and momentum oriented stocks and the banks being laggards um, and certain other areas being laggards. And through this, you know, initially, even when the yields were falling, we saw REITs and utilities selling off. Um, and so I, I think when you start to unpack the different pieces of this, it's starting, it starts to make sense. And the way I would look at it is we had a, a strong sell-off in the dollar after the initial spike. There was kind of a narrative in the market that, hey, more stimulus is coming. They'll never be able to stop the stimulus. The Fed's out of bullets. And so we're going to have coordinated fiscal monetary policy, which is bearish for the dollar. And then when the CARES Act wasn't passed, uh, or the second version of that wasn't passed, we saw this counter trend move in the dollar. And over the last several weeks, that counter trend move was quite concerning for the market in the sense that it kept setting, you know, higher lows. It looked like, hey, if we don't get stimulus or we wait too long, uh, things could really start to tighten up. But over the last really last few days, that counter trend move in the dollar has really broken down. And I think it's broken down for a handful of reasons. One, uh, the spike we're seeing in COVID cases in Europe, we're also starting to see geographically in pockets in the United States as well. Now, what we don't know, are the, is this the second wave? Are we just rising to a higher level of stabilization because we've reopened schools? If it's a second wave, I think the market's starting to say, look, it may be a second wave. We're not going to have the lockdowns, but that does mean we may not recover quite as much. or We may need a lot more stimulus sooner than we thought. And so that may be putting downward pressure on the dollar. Also, the volatility that we've discussed that was beginning to start to look like it was going to break out in September really didn't. It got to these upper kind of technical ranges, and then it's continued to fail and it's starting to pull back in. And we've seen something that I think is really important in just the last few days, which is we've seen larger volume on the up days and smaller trading volume on the down days. And that really hadn't been the case for the prior two months. And in my mind, I think we're set up to see a shift in leadership if we have a few things happen in in the next several weeks. Um, And I think that's why you're starting to see the strong response out of regional banks that have been such a laggard. They were up nearly 5% today. Fortunately, we don't own any regional banks, but we'll make more money elsewhere on the, on the second move higher. Um, and, and those key things, I think, are, are really three elements. Number one, we're getting ready to get a lot of vaccine data. And that vaccine data is probably going to demonstrate one or two or three candidates uh, for a viable vaccine We know we've already put some logistics in place to get the vaccine distributed quickly. So if we get an accelerated FDA approval, we may have vaccine going out to the front line, meaning the healthcare professionals where it's needed. In the fourth quarter, we could be releasing more towards the general population in the first quarter. And so the market can start to really look through 
this kind of slowing recovery and say, look, we, we have line aside into the back half of 2021 where we're going to be resuming some normal activity. We're going to be going on vacation. We're going to see arenas full for sporting events. We're not going to see cancellation of large gatherings. Um, and, and, and with that, you're going to see, oh, that means then the sectors that have been hurt the most may not have to issue as much equity next year, may not run into serious liquidity or bankruptcy issues. So you're going to start to see a rotation that, you know, whether it's the cruise lines, the hotels, or certain discretionary stocks, and you can kind of put the banks in a similar category, although to a much lower extent, meaning they just don't have as much room to make up. Those are the areas. This kind of dash for trash is maybe what leads the market higher. We will need a few more things to fall in place. Now, we know the vaccine announcements are coming. That's well known. It's stated, and so the market may be positioning for that. The other thing that we need to see is we do need to see a stimulus bill. We know that families are struggling. We know we're going to have a weak Christmas season if we don't get money into and checks into people's hands. So we need to see that. And then finally, I think we need a clean election. By clean, it doesn't mean one party wins or I really don't care who ends up in the White House for this thesis. There's a, a combination between the White House and Congress that can have a more material impact. But we just need to know know the result within a reasonable amount of time. Certainly, there could be a few days or a couple of weeks lag. But, you know, avoiding a, quote, constitutional crisis, having a clean election, letting the process play out. If those things fall into place, along with these uh, vaccine announcements, I think you're going to see a significant shift in the rotation in, in the marketplace. And people have been hiding out in large cap tech and growth. And in fact, really since March, They've been using large cap growth stocks as proxies for long duration treasuries or REITs or utilities. And so I think what we're seeing is people selling what they own, which is large cap growth in tech, to buy what they don't because what they don't is actually going to have a better rate of change, improvement in fundamentals, and actually has more upside, and it's going to see a strong narrative shift. How long that lasts is, you know, who knows. But I think that's really what we're starting to see. Um, and I think it's going to, you know, add to the volatility, add to the confusion, uh, may cause a little bit of paralysis among some investors that aren't expecting it. But I, I really do think that's what's going on. You know, one, one thing that stuck out there, you know, you just mentioned, you know, adding volatility, adding confusion, you know, paralysis. And you mentioned um, what you're witnessing here on on up days, you've seen larger volume on up days, smaller volume on down days. Just real quickly, what what's that? What do you what do you read out of that? What's that indicative of um, as you're thinking about trading and volumes and, and the movement of markets? Yeah, uh, but I I think you got to look at those internal elements to the market and what's happening structurally beneath the surface because the surface can appear calm, right? But there could be significant shifts underneath. And to me, what that's telling me is I, we've, we've gone too far one direction and we're probably getting ready to see some fairly material and seismic rotations. And my own view, those rotations are leading a significant shift in uh, the economic environment, meaning it could mean new policies, new tax policies. Uh, it could mean, look, 
you know, COVID isn't going away and we do have serious problems and we're going to see much more stimulus than we thought and it is all going to be funded and we, we may in fact have real inflationary pressures that the market isn't prepared for. So I think, I think that's what it's starting to say. Whatever narrative was in place is really being called into question and there's always somebody that knows whether it, they know what's going to you know, have insight into things that will happen in the election or insight into narratives and trends that may not lay out as expected and that money's starting to move. And eventually, you know, the rest of the market will catch up. And, and one more, as you, as you talked about a re, you know, potential rotation specifically out of you know, large cap growth and tech, and, and I think your phrase you used was you know, selling that to, to buy what they don't. Um, as we think about a number of the conversations that we've had, whether it be the dollar um, whether it be a stimulus bill, um, a clean election you just mentioned, let's say in the event that, you know, the dollar you know, continues to um, buck the trend, remain strong, you know, the stimulus bill gets pushed out or doesn't get passed or they continue to have um, a log jam there. Uh, this could very well be a contentious election. I think that would, um, you know, the odds of that happening would, would not surprise anybody. Um, so if that, that's the case, do you think that large cap growth and do you think that tech, um, you know, continues to run and continues to um, be a, a core holding that people are, are afraid to step away from. I I think so. I I have thought all along since the pandemic started in the first quarter that large cap growth, specifically U.S. large cap growth, will not lead the recovery. It will not. It can stay elevated the longest. It can do a lot of things but it will not lead a recovery. And the reason I say that is by definition, if those are the best performing stocks, that means we are not getting true economic growth throughout the broader economy. And therefore, we just won't have an economic recovery and we won't have a broad market recovery. There's so much money in those names, it's really hard for those names to continue to push the market higher. And that's why I, I, I think we could see indexes move materially higher, but large cap growth not move much at all because it's going to be the price appreciation in these other sectors. Now, let's say, you know, I kind of laid out three things, clean election, vaccine data, uh, and a stimulus. The vaccine data is coming. We don't even need to worry about that, and something's going to work. I mean, the market's already starting to discount that. So let's take that off the table. That's a given in my mind. Then we're left with a clean election and stimulus. There's certainly scenarios out there where you could get a clean election and, and because of the makeup and the change uh, within the White House and Congress, you don't get as much stimulus or you could get too much, whatever that may be. But we don't get those other elements. That just means we have a lot of short-term volatility, and it could be positive, it could be negative, depending on what the contention is around the election. We will get short-term, that short-term volatility, but it doesn't change the fact that eventually we'll end up with a president, and eventually we'll move forward, and eventually we're going to need stimulus, and eventually that still means we get economic growth through the rest of the economy, and we get broader leadership in the markets where it can move higher or it doesn't move higher. So to me, whether we get those three things now or it just takes time, eventually it doesn't change, I think, 
the way the market ultimately recovers from here. No, that's good. Thank you for that. And, you know, I'll, I'll wrap up our final questions here today. Um, thinking about the election and, you know, it's right around the corner for us. And, you know, we're hearing more and more in the coming or the recent days that, you know, there could be a, a certainly a shift in, in party leadership. Um, and if this is the case, we should expect an increase in uh, both corporate taxes, capital gains rate. Uh, so, you know, and let's just uh, look at that outcome. Um, you know, some market participants, they're expecting a sell-off as investors would go ahead and lock down long-term gains at a lower tax rate. So just curious on you know, your thoughts regarding the election outcomes um, and the short to long-term impact on the markets. Yeah, look, there's, I've always said it really doesn't matter who wins because there's so few policy choices that can really, that they really have at their disposal from here. Their hands are tied. Uh, tax policy, that's not necessarily the case. Now, I always couch whatever anybody says on the campaign trail is a lot of rhetoric, uh, a lot of things to stimulate the base, to push the marginal voter their way. And so what they believe and what they say are very different things. And therefore, I, you know, I think we end up with a 40%, uh, 45% marginal tax rate for long-term capital gains. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Are they going to do it? I don't know. I mean, I think if we, you get a democratic sweep and we raise taxes and we get rid of all the loopholes for uh, carried interest and things such as that, on the surface, it would be bad for stocks. There's no question about that. It would be bad for markets. It's going to raise the cost of capital. It's going to lower multiples. Um, but to the extent they do that, there's going to be trade-offs. We shouldn't forget that politicians, for the most part, are not in Washington to pass legislation that's good for the American people. So if you think about a politician's role and the impact of a, the change in capital gains tax rate, you know, the politician's role is, is twofold. One, to get reelected, and two, to enrich himself. Uh, and the way they do that is curry favor with campaign contributions. And if they were to raise taxes broadly and raise the capital gains tax significantly, uh, then not only does that hurt their campaign contributors, uh, but it hurts their own net worth. So I think to the extent we were going to see a very significant increase in the marginal tax rate for capital gains, the offset would be we'd see so much stimulus out of Washington that it may boost assets high and materially higher and offset some of that uh, increase in, 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 in tax loss or tax leak, leakage to the investor. Um, that, all that said, though, is, you know, I don't think anybody invested in risk assets today should be naive to think that they're going to be treated as well over the next 10 years as they were the last 10 years. For the last 10 years, we have relied solely on monetary policy that has had outsized benefits to valuations and capital markets into the 1%. And the nature of the way that policy was run, it significantly benefited the U.S. dollar, which reinforced all of these elements within U.S. equity markets. And that is going to be set to reverse for the next 10 years. Our policy and our stimulus is going to go to Main Street. It's going to come at the expense of Wall Street. 
and it's going to be at the expense of the U.S. dollar while we're on the cusp of another commodity cycle in general. So um, I do think tax policy matters. Um, certainly, there's going to be a lot of margin pressures already. And, you know, we talked about banks earlier today. Uh, they, they had a heck of a run after we cut corporate tax rates. If we raise corporate tax rates, um, you can pretty much fade the rally we've seen in the last few weeks because their earnings are going to be severely impacted. And that's the case for the S&P in general. So tax policy matters. Uh, certainly, we need to watch the election because depending on the nature of the outcome, you could see a lot of increased incremental selling post the election, not because people are unhappy with the result, but just to lock in some long-term capital gains at these lower rates. So it definitely bears watching. Um, and I think it only adds to the volatility in the fourth quarter. And I think that volatility, while will be concerning and, and disheartening if it's to the downside, it will give us pretty good opportunities because we're already still looking at fairly attractive valuations, depending on which area of the market you're focused on. Well, good. Well, I think that's that's a good place to stop for today. And um, really looking forward to our conversations coming up over the next few weeks. Should be a very interesting time here, both uh, in, the, in the U.S. markets and abroad. Uh, we won't have any, there'll be no shortage of, uh, of discussion topics. So until then, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.